You're listening to episode 11, Bernie Bro Talks Bernie Sanders, with special guest Ryan Mickler. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians. What makes us different and what makes us similar? It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. Hi, Donald. What's going on, Diana? <laughs> Not much. How are you coping with the lockdown? Oh, we shouldn't score the lockdown. The Prime Minister tells us off. But the uh, enforced social isolation, are you coping okay? Well, I think it's I think it's a good thing. You know, I think you get to have an opportunity to reinvent yourself and figure out if this is going to be long term, how do I cope? How do I get through it? Learning new ways to vote and do banking and shopping. This may just be our new reality. I guess we wanted to touch back on the Democratic primary race, which is in the midst of everything that's happening, a world pandemic, and Trump now realising apparently again the seriousness of this situation. The Democratic primary race continues on, and there's two men left standing in the race. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And you know the, the Democrats moved the convention back to around August 18th. Ooh, that's getting very close to the November election, isn't it? Is there any way that they would push back the election? Yeah, I very, very, very seriously doubt that uh, mm. they'll push back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, if anything, this gives the convention, the Democratic convention organizers, time to figure out how to reorganize in the case we can't actually attend the convention. So if for instance, August 13th rides around or we get to August and they say, you know, uh, in the foreseeable future, we're not, we're still not going to be able to have a convention, but this is what we've created. This, we've created this virtual platform where delegates can actually log in and, and vote and have speeches online oh, and make God, it this not an online thing. That'll be a nightmare. Uh, it? Yeah, that probably would be a nightmare, but I think uh, they're just trying to figure out how to do it. And I can foresee that, um, you know, the, the the memes or the, you know, you create your own face and your own personality. I think, for instance, say a governor may have a meme that looks like her or him in the, in the Kansas box. And uh, when it comes time to vote through this app, she just pushes and raises her, raises her hand virtually. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, if you really wanted to try to make it uh, as connected as possible, you would almost have to do it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Because you just couldn't have people congregating en masse in a confined space like that. It, you know, and even in August, it feels like that'll be too soon to do that. So interesting. So at the moment, Bernie trails Joe Biden by th around 300 delegates. Is that correct? That sounds about right. Yeah. And it sort of seems as though the current primary process is going to be put on hold as well, that they're going to defer some of the upcoming state primaries. Why do you think, and you expressed in our last episode surprise or exasperation probably is the better word for it, that Bernie isn't giving up. He's, he's just not getting out of the way and letting Joe Biden just proceed on as a Democratic nominee. What do you think is, is driving him staying in the race? 
Well, this coronavirus, for one, it's it has it's just disrupted the whole plan of everything. So right now, you're not having debates. You're not having people knocking door to door, mm-hmm. uh, passing out uh, literature or material. You're it's very limited politi- politician contact with the public. It's very little mass speaking engagements or or small group engagements. It's now totally relying upon technology. And who's the most tech savvy group in in the world? What age group is the most tech savvy group in the world? Not the, Joe, the not the Joe Biden supporters, you'd say. It wouldn't be Joe Biden supporters. And if the young people had an opportunity to literally vote from home, everyone that receives one of those USA checks, you know, the government knows that they have the right to, you know, the, the ability to vote. So while they're sending the check, they also should send uh, something that says you are eligible to vote and you you will need to submit your ballot by mail to your local authority by this deadline. If those ballots came in the mail or online or through some type of fingerprint or some kind mm-hmm. of creative iris technology through a, a camera lens and then you vote, it releases your ballot and you vote, the young people will hands down bring Bernie through. That's an interesting point. Yep. How do, how do you protest if there's no gathering? If there's a an online platform where you have to vote and the delegate of your choice doesn't win, will people then come into the streets and protest with coronavirus going around? I mean, what what type of control? Will there be any crowds out? So this whole thing in terms of democracy, coronavirus and democracy does not go hand in hand, particularly based on the way Americans are used to it. We're used to getting in the streets and protesting if there's a if there's some injustice with coronavirus you can't do that no it's almost like police state there's total control and if you if you if you can't get out there and make your voice heard and and only through a, a online platform that can be shut off like a, a the flip of a switch where's gonna where's democracy gonna play in this and mm. so Bernie needs all those young, innovative kids with these technology minds to ride with him all the way out. And if they don't have to get out from behind their video games and their computers, and all they have to do is vote online or send through an email or some... So democracy is very limited for those that are not technologically based and yeah. equipped to to deal with the, the modern uh, movements in this, yeah. in this world of technology at OIT. Okay, so today it's probably opportune then that we have as our special guest Ryan Mickler, who we first heard about, who was featured in mainstream newspaper article in Australia called The Age. A couple of his fellow Bernie supporters were featured. He's previously lived in Boston in the US and completed a PhD there, and while he was there became quite engaged with the political fight back in 2016 when Bernie had his first run at the presidential nomination and was toppled by Hillary Clinton. So it'll be interesting for us to have a chat with him and understand what is driving not only his interest in politics in the US, given that he lives in Australia and isn't able to vote over there, but also what he sees are Bernie's unique qualities and why he thinks he's on the path to the Democratic nomination. And, you know, even though he's he's not in the US anymore, he's still campaigning for Bernie's. He's calling mm. people from Australia 
and talking to them about Bernie Sanders. You know, I just talked about technology and how these young people are, you know, they're so innovative. And he and hopefully he'll talk to us about how the Americans perceive his Australian accent when he calls and and, and yeah, it'd talks to them. Yeah, be pretty weird, wouldn't it? Getting this Australian on the other end of the phone, kind of asking how you feel about your issues happening in America. But yeah, we're we're really happy to have him on. So let's get to it and see what he has to say. Hey, let's do it. Hi, Ryan. I'm Diana. The way. Hi, Diana. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So thank you so much for doing this. Perhaps if you just tell us a little bit about your relationship with Bernie, like how it came to be that you are a Melbourne and Bernie fan. Sure. Well, I um, I've been living in the United States since January of 2013. Mm-hmm. I went over there to do my PhD, and I only moved back mid last year, so about six and a half years over there. So one of the first things I did when I got there is I went down to Obama's second inauguration in late January 2020 down on the, the mall in the freezing cold in Washington, D.C., which was fantastic. And even then, people were starting to talk about Hillary Clinton was going to be the one to succeed Obama. Mm-hmm. And so then it sort of everyone, he didn't want to, Obama didn't want to do anything too controversial in his last term to sort of guarantee Hillary an easy inauguration coming up after him. So... I went back to Boston and everyone there was very unhappy with Hillary, the potential of Hillary, everyone in my sort of liberal circles. And so people started trying to draft Elizabeth Warren to run against Hillary in the primary. And so in 2015, I started sort of supporting Warren and trying to get her to run. As a non-citizen, I couldn't do that much for the sort of just sort of community level organizing. But then Bernie Sanders came down from Vermont to try and also recruit Elizabeth Warren to run against Hillary. And everyone sort of caught on to him very quickly. They realized that Elizabeth wasn't going to run. But then Senator Sanders sort of started speaking and doing some sort of public appearances and potential of him running. Everyone sort of quickly jumped over to him and I became a much bigger Bernie Sanders fan. So locally in my community in Cambridge and Somerville, just across the river from Boston, we started sort of organizing some local events and trying to get my group of friends to support Bernie and then participated in some like local calling events and and stuff like that. But since then, been a huge Bernie fan. And obviously that election didn't go very well. Didn't go according to plan, Mm -hmm. both in the primary and then in the general. So we've sort of been biding our time, building up some support, doing some recruiting and organizing for Bernie sort of unofficially through, through my friends. But then when I moved back here, I started, I met up with Tarini Rouette, who was an organized like a Facebook meetup group for Bernie Sanders supporters here in Melbourne in late January and we started co-organizing some Bernie volunteer events here calling and texting people all across the United States trying to get them to come out and vote in the primaries for Bernie Sanders. What is it about Bernie that that appeals to you? Many different elements. One I think is a complete lack of cynicism about politics. He has never he's always spoken his mind and been very morally and ideologically consistent So he's always been a strong supporter of unions all all throughout his entire life, for example. Um, Even when he was running for for mayor of Burlington, Vermont, he was very pro-union, pro-LGBTQ, anti-free trade, anti-interventionism, anti-war his entire life, even when all those things were very unpopular. For example, even at the height of the Cold War in 1988, he established 
Yaroslavl in Russia as Burlington's sister city, right in the middle of Cold War anti-Russia fever. He was building bridges across the world because, you know, it was the moral, the moral way to build anti-inventionist activism around the world by building strong community ties. And even to this day, there's a strong exchange program between Russian students and, and students from Burlington. So he, he is, his approach to policy has always been grassroots, union-led, never accepted any sort of corporate money or corporate sponsorship for any of his agendas. But he's always been on the right side of history. He's always been uh, had a good moral compass in compass his entire life. Ryan, you know, with this whole coronavirus, this COVID nineteen, we've uh, Bernie's talked about uh, Medicare for all, right? And according to uh, February fifteenth, uh, there was a study by an epidemiologist at uh, Yale University. Uh, the Medicare for all bill that Bernie wrote would save over 400, uh, $450 billion in healthcare costs and prevent 68,000 unnecessary deaths each and every year. We were looking at what's happening now, $2.0 appropriation to handle this uh, coronavirus virus crisis. And Diana and I were just talking in, on our last episode, and we thought, you know, it is Bernie. You know, everything's rolling out. It is a Medicare for all system right now. What's happening right now with the coronavirus? It's it's happening right now. So why do we need Bernie Sanders when this will be a norm moving forward? Hospitals will be uh, uh, upgraded, and there will look, we would look at uh, Medicare uh, and and hospital uh, coverage for many millions of Americans. Why is it so important to? you know, bring Bernie in and not support the the leading candidate in a Joe Biden. What, what, why, uh, why not support Joe Biden? He has the numbers. Uh, the Dem- Although Bernie did win the Democrat, uh, the Democrats abroad uh, caucus. Uh, so the world loves him outside of America. I mean, even Americans love him, but he doesn't he have California. The- at, well, I mean, he won. I mean, come on, California, but California, yeah, California's huge. Nevada, he, Utah. Did he win Nevada? Yeah, he did win Nevada. Now, okay, so he wins these states, but he doesn't have the the elect the the uh, the, the polling numbers. He doesn't have the delegates to bring to the convention. So, what does that mean? And right. do you think Bernie's going to jump on the Biden ticket anytime soon, or is he going to fight it all the way through? So, to your first point about Medicare for all, yeah, it, it certainly looks like some elements of you know uh like a national government subsidy for just particularly covid treatment right so there is some talk that the there's going to be free covid testing and covid treatment potentially across the us there's some talk of uh passing that cost onto the um a tax onto the government for taxpayers however you know as soon as the crisis is over that the, the same talk will continue again to try and get the private insurance industry back involved in healthcare. So as soon as the crisis is resolved, you'll see people dying from diabetes. You'll see people dying from cancer because they can't get the kind of, uh, even the health insurance. It's not even about the healthcare. It's still just health insurance. So Medicare for all is sort of, I think the most possible of the potentially radical left measures, although it's not even that radical, you know, you could go in further and have like a VA for all system where the hospitals are actually government owned as well, nationalizing of hospitals, which would be a, potentially something like the NHS in the UK, which is a more left-wing system. But still, we're just talking about privatizing insurance. There's still private hospitals, which, and private hospitals are denying coverage all the time for regular diseases, 
uh, regular fatal diseases that people don't have coverage for. So even, even amongst the crisis, mi millions of Americans die from easily preventable and treatable diseases every year, or not every year, every couple of years, because they don't have health insurance. So it's a, the ep epidemic of insurance, uh, private insurance, non-coverage in America is, continues and will continue beyond um, this crisis. To your second point about the electoral side, I think it's still, the primary is still going. If, if we had had this conversation like a couple of days after Super Tuesday, after all the centrists had realigned, I would probably be more pessimistic then about his electoral chances. However, um, Joe Biden is not doing very well in this crisis. He is, he is not. I mean, probably how? Why, why, why do you say that? Why, why do you say Joe Biden's not doing very well? Is it because he's, he's losing his mind or if he's, I mean, what, what's happening? A lot of people are saying that he's kind of um, forgetful. I mean, do you find that? I, I won't speculate as to his mental condition, but the main issue for me is enthusiasm. In order to defeat Trump, who's base is wildly enthusiastic much more so than 2016 he he won 2016 getting about half of the republican party highly enthusiastic the other half were skeptical then and a lot of those have jumped on board now so he has consolidated and reformed the entire republican party into a donald trump support machine and anyone who was straggling has now left and considered themselves independents or even democrats now so but there's an electoral coalition there that can easily usher Trump to a second term. And to, to combat that, you need enthusiasm. You need grassroots enthusiasm. You need organiz organizations that can help come out and bring voters uh, enthusiastically to the polls. And Biden, there was just a poll out a couple of days ago that showing that Biden so, is so trailing. You, so Ryan, you don't, you don't believe that Trump is enthusiastic enough to bring people to the polls after he's been bragging no, about Trump his ratings is, while people are dropping dead in the hospital? Trump absolutely is. You know, he. I think at this point, if if it's Trump versus Biden, I think Trump sails to re-election. Uh, I think he'll win. More you believe Trump will sail to re-election? Yeah. You think absolutely. if it's Trump against Biden, you think Trump will sail to re-election? I mean, at this point last year, think think of. I'm thinking in 2016. I mean, think about how people were talking about Hillary versus Trump at exactly this yeah. point last time. You know, the yeah. whole Democratic centrist coalition had aligned around Hillary. The polls were saying she had a 99.5% chance of winning the, the election. Polls. And it all turned, yeah. everything turned in the last two weeks before the election when everyone realized no one was going to Hillary rallies. She was she was struggling to get 5,000 people to come turn out and watch her. And Trump. Well, nobody's to coming to rallies now. No one's coming to rallies. So you're saying Bernie. Okay. Yes. Okay. Let, let's get this clear, Ryan. I just want to. I just want to get clear on this one. So you're saying if if Bernie knocks Biden out, right? Mm -hmm. Bernie will win in 2020. Are you calling that race right now? On I'm Green saying that I think Bernie is the only one with a realistic shot. I think Trump is. No, 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 no. I don't want any realistic. I, I need certainty. So oh, you're saying if we can get our listeners to get out to the polls and vote for Bernie Sanders, Bernie will be the president in 2021. I, I don't know that for certain. I don't. I can't. I, oh. Anyone who makes calls like that, you shouldn't trust them because no one can. No one can call those kind of things. That's why everyone's but, refused so, to answer that question every time Donald asks it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 problematic, and but. You see exactly the same things happening with Joe Biden now is there's just the same coalition of people that support him support with the Hillary Clinton supporters. You know, 
generally very uh, the 45 plus people and very strong support in the 65 year old plus range. Whereas all of Bernie wins under 45 voters by about 65% and wins under 25 voters by 90%. He, he is completely sweeping the younger generation and all the older generations. But the younger generation is not getting out to vote. What's the problem? I mean, are they going to, I mean, can he hang his hat on the younger generation to actually get up out of the bed on Saturday morning or Tuesday or whenever they can, you know, we're making it easy now. They're going to send ballots in the mail. Will they even put a stamp on it and send the ballot back? I mean, come on, really? I mean, he should have handedly won uh, Texas. He should have came through on, on, on a lot of the states. The well, young Texas. people were, you know, they were supposed to, Texas, he should have gathered Texas up with no problem if the young people came out to vote. But they did not. They stayed at home thinking, oh, okay, my buddy's going to go out. In fact, 10 of my buddies are going to go out. And they did not deliver. So can Amer- the American Democratic Party and moderate Republicans hang their hat on a Bernie Sanders young generation to come out and get him elected in 2020, November 2020. Oh, no one can hang their hat. And that's why we spend all our weekends and days calling voters, trying to organize them and trying to get them out to vote. I mean, it's so, so it's what are you hearing? Shot. Tell me some of the things you're hearing when you call the voters. Oh, so it's obviously changed recently because now a lot of the calling is actually COVID related. And a lot of the Bernie Sanders organization has pivoted to fundraising for charities and helping and more of a charity organization itself, helping people if they need any assistance, navigating some of the government subsidies that are operating in their state. So there's very little actual campaign related stuff because all the primaries have been postponed. But say in early, in the major first elections like Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, et cetera, we were calling up and we were organizing people to call into those states. And sometimes there's a bit of shock that an Australian is calling or someone with an Australian accent. But generally, people are are enthusiastic about Bernie. Back then, you honestly didn't it, hear much about As an Australian, what do you say when you get on the phone? Do you say good day? I mean, what, what do you say to, <laughs> you know, do you lighten it up? Do you, do yeah, you yeah. make the people we, feel, I mean, what's definitely. your approach? We tell them a bit about it. And we've actually been, um, one of the big things that we, we talk about is the Green New Deal. And we often have been using our stories about the recent, recent bushfires here to say how mm. important climate action is. And people relay their story saying they were seeing it on the news and how horrified they were. Plenty of people we were calling in California were reciting stories from just a couple of years ago, the massive bushfires they had in California, where, you know, lots of houses burned down. You know, every couple of years, there's more bushfires and droughts there. So that was really resonating with a lot of voters. But also, you know, often when we talk to young people, young people over there, you could, they would talk your ear off for 20 minutes of how they want to get involved, how can they, they're so enthused to hear that people from around the world are taking part in this uh, in this movement. Ryan, I'm interested because um, it is unusual to be so actively engaged in a presidential process that's not of your own country. Are you at all politically motivated within Australia? I did dabble a little bit before I moved to the States, but seeing as I've largely been away, I haven't particularly been getting the usual unhealthy doses of Australian politics that <laughs> keep you keep you going. But I'm starting to get a little bit clued back into it now. The thing, I've always been sort of turned off by Australian politics because of its sort of narrow breadth of ideas. There's, there's, there's sort of at any particular one moment, there's only a few ideas that are being considered in Australian politics. And one party has the numbers up a little higher than the others for a particular policy or has a, a little bit broader. There's never 
there's never much ideological reach or ideological imagination when it comes to Australian politics. You do see some from the Greens occasionally, and even you see more radical parties from the far right as well, uh, radical ideas. But it's always been largely a cynical exercise, I think. Ryan, I just wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, about the term Bernie bro. For our listeners, if you're unacquainted with this, it was coined by Robinson Meyer, who wrote an article in The Atlantic back in 2015, actually. And he categorised the Bernie bro, and I'm reading directly from Wikipedia here, as a male, white, well-educated, middle-class and aware of NPR podcasts, don't know what they are, um, and jangly bearded bands. Now, I have to say, Ryan, looking at you, you've got a beard, you're very well educated, you're doing your PhD, and you're obviously white. So do you think that you are a Bernie bro? And what do you think about that term generally? Well, I don't identify as one, but I'm probably called one. Um, <laughs> but Can we I call mean, you one? Sure. <laughs> okay, um, I, I do wear it with some pride in the sense that if that's the best insult they have, I mean, they could do better. But uh, <laughs> the main the main critique I have of have of it one, it's basically a Twitter response where there's a few maybe thousand angry Bernie supporters on Twitter, younger people who are mobilised using that medium, and they're vocal and they feel unrestrained on there. So they there are some people who harass, but if you you can look at any campaign and you will find an ugly group of Twitter people, ugly comments. Maybe Bernie has more. I don't. I'm not particularly concerned. If you talk to the people who are actually running the Bernie campaign, Nina Turner and um, Brianna Joy Gray, women of Nina color, Turner. Who, now Nina Turner would be offended. Yeah, you call Nina her Turner, Bernie. Ask you know, ask that question to Nina Turner and see what she says. You know, <laughs> the, the the movement is as as diverse of a political campaign as you could possibly imagine in America in terms of the support. I mean, the number of Latina and Latinx people who came out in Nevada to support Bernie is overwhelming. And so it's, I think there's a, there's an element here of civility politics where whenever a sort of left broad, they, they said the same thing of Jesse Jackson in 88, where when you try and build a group of uh, diverse working class people together and they, they act out of place, they don't go along with the conventional thinking, everyone tells them to find their place, watch your language, use the proper terms, don't be too rude. It's always, and you know, you can't vote blue no matter who, stay, stay in line. There's always an element of that whenever the left working class tries to rise up, and particularly when it's a diverse left working class. Well, Ryan, that's why I have a problem. I have a big problem with all of this talk that these, you know, Bernie kids, they sit up here talking, but they're not voting. I mean, that's the problem. That, that Ultimately, that's the problem. The math is in Bernie's favor if the people just get out to vote, but they're not getting out to vote. So it looks like Biden, and you know, from your estimation, Biden's gonna suffer the same fate that Hillary Clinton suffered. And then what, yeah. where, where does that lead the United States of America in your, in your opinion? Just, okay, to your first point first about getting out to vote, 86% of people who have voted under uh, 30 have voted for Bernie in a lot of places, especially in California. So the young people who do vote are very strong Bernie. But I do agree with you that their Bernie Sanders sort of electoral promise was built on this idea that we could step outside the traditional traditional bounds of what a democratic voter was and try and bring in more young people, more working people, more disenfranchised voters back into the Democratic Party primaries. 
and that hasn't it's worked out better in some states than other states but in the whole i agree with you it's the the idea of that promise of a campaign uh, coalition hasn't really formulated as well as bernie had thought hoped it would in order to beat someone like an established candidate like biden well can can bernie bring in the moderate republicans it can, oh, can Bernie Sanders bring in the moderate Republicans like Joe Biden's bringing in the moderate Republicans? There's a lot of uh, pushback in the moderate Republican camp, and it's a huge, it's a huge camp Absolutely. who have been offended by President Trump and have been kicked out of their 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 positions. Uh, you just take uh, Jeff Sessions for instance. I mean, he must be fuming. Uh, the former Secretary of State. I mean. The Bush family. I mean, when you take these guys and you say, you know, the president has offended them and their families. John McCain. I mean, it's like it, the list goes on. Are these people truly going to get out and support the Republican ticket, even if President Trump is on the top? Or they're going to say, you know what, either I'm not going to go out and vote or, you know what, Joe Biden's my man. Yeah, that's it's an interesting idea. Uh, I, so first of all, it didn't happen in 2016. The vast majority of those um, sort of disenfranchised Republicans who hated Trump's rudeness and crassness, they ended up. They also hated. They also hated Hillary Clinton. Those Republicans. Same Repo but they, for some reason, they they love Joe Biden. Some of them do. Uh, some of them will vote for Biden, and. On the other side, though, Bernie Sanders is an independent. He's been an independent his whole life. And you you can go around, you can hear people who wish independents who don't ever think they could vote for a Democrat, but they will vote for Bernie Sanders. I've, I've talked to some of them and I've met some of them in sort of former blue Rust Belt places outside of Pittsburgh and stuff. In 2016, I was out there and what I thought would be a safe Hillary area, the former working class steel suburbs in northern Pittsburgh. And everywhere there was just trump lawn signs and bernie lawn signs it was really one way or the other there was no that there's there's just very little appetite i think for a moderate policy set whatever that means now is not the time when moderation wins the day and it never has been it didn't work for john kerry didn't work for al gore didn't work for hillary clinton it's really interesting to get your insights ryan um i did I did think it was interesting. There was a New Yorker article today. I don't know if you saw it, and it's titled "Reality Endorses Bernie Sanders," because we're in this hilarious situation. Well, it's not hilarious at all. It's quite devastating. <laughs> but well, go ahead and laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, no, you, it's you have to laugh to keep laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> well, it's just that you know the irony of Trump having to implement so many of Bernie Sanders' sort of you know universal basic wage, that the healthcare sort of. He's got to prop up the, the ailing healthcare now because there's a crisis and, and a pandemic can't, you know, doesn't charge itself back to the, the private insurers. And if, if he doesn't contain that, the spread in a lot of these um, areas of homelessness where people aren't insured, then it's, it's basically just this monster seeping through the cracks everywhere. And um, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting and it'll be interesting to see how this influences things going forward, I think. Absolutely. It's it's kind of a, in some sense, Bernie Sanders' policies would have helped a lot. For example, a lot of countries that had single-payer healthcare plans like South Korea and Italy, the sort of the data shows that these countries would have had much more of a crisis without single-payer systems. That for the many people in, for example, California, 
couldn't get tested because the test for COVID at the time was $1,600 and the treatment could be in the $30, for $34,000, some examples were. So that actually prohibited people from going to get the test in the first place and ultimately resulted more of the spread. But it's, I think Bernie Sanders' approach is particularly um, important at this time because it's not just, a, a Medicare for all is just one part of it. And you can see, for example, in places like uh, um, Las Vegas, where they're, they're, the government is building special parking lots for homeless people to practice social distancing in while all the like hotels remain empty and all the private hospitals won't take more patients. You know, that's a shame. That is a Absolutely. crying, that is a crying shame. You know, President Trump should open up the Trump uh, casino just, just to house bets. You know, that will win him a lot of votes. You know, Trump is, uh, I, I agree with that in some sense. Trump is the potential more radical element here where Trump realizing how bad this election is looking for him after let's say heaven forbid more people get sick and injured but that's looking like it's going to be sick, sick and die trump could propose something like medicare for all it's it's not ideologically inconsistent for him to do it he could propose some sort of universal health care program he, he has no ideological alliances or, or with any of the healthcare companies or any other companies he could do after, something after all he's a democrat yeah he, he was a lifelong he is democrat, a democrat. And, he was pro public health care in uh, 2015, uh, sorry, uh, 2012 or something like this. Mm. Diana, so did you know that? I didn't, I did, did you not know, know that. that. Donald no. Trump was a Democrat. Did you know Donald Trump was a Democrat? No. God, it seems like they yeah, all jumped the fence over there. Like, they've all been either Democrats or Republicans, haven't they? I mean, even, um, what's his name? The rich man. Not Bernie Sanders. No, the, no, <laughs> no. He's he's been a dart in the wall. You got to give that to him. And as you said, Ryan, he he is a consistent. He he's just died in the wall, isn't he? He's true blue. And who knows? I mean, I'm a bit. Uh, Donald is a big Biden fan. <laughs> I think we've established that. Oh, he's. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm yeah. just. Going, hey, I'm going with the numbers. I'm just going. But with I the don't. Numbers. I still don't get the why numbers. the numbers are, are heading his way. But. It'll be interesting to see. Hey, can and I let out a secret? Can I give you a secret? I normally don't tell anyone who I vote for, Diana. Mm -hmm. But as a Democrat abroad, I thought I got to vote for Bernie. Just once. Really? I mean, if it's wow. if I can't do anything else, <laughs> I went to the Democrats Ryan. abroad and I vote. And you're not supposed to talk about your vote. Right. But I voted for Bernie Sanders because this shocks I believe me. in, hey, I believe in housing for all. I believe for co uh, college for all and uh, to counsel the student debt because it's smothering students, especially first generation students, expanding the social security, elimin eliminating medical debt. Do you know mm. people are going bankrupt because yeah. they have so much medical debt? The Green New Deal overall will save us $34.5 trillion in the long term. But we're not thinking about 80 years from now we're thinking about right now how can i make the quick buck mm. but with our economy this coronavirus pretty much has given our world our earth a new breath it's like breathe a little bit yeah i mean and bernie has ticked everything yes they say it's social socialism but right now the united states is doing socialism three point something trillion dollars <laughs> can you believe that I mean, we're we're bordering on five trillion dollars to to subsidize this economy. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, and Bernie has lined it out. That's why I said we're doing the Bernie 
platform right now. So why mm. are we even looking at it that way? You know what I mean? It's 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 mad. So I had to vote for him. I mean, he's he's Jewish. I voted for the first African American president. I vote I voted for Hillary Clinton, the first uh, front runner. I voted for Barack Obama, and mm-hmm. I get a chance to vote for Bernie and Biden. But I needed to vote for Bernie because he is the future. He's, he's speaking into our future. Mm, okay, and that really shocks me, Donald. Oh, I thought you were Biden all the way. Right. Yeah, but- Ryan, I mean, fantastic. I mean, you're on the age. You are, you know, Bernie will be proud of you, man. Yeah. Everything is dynamic now. No one knows anything for certain. Bernie's going to stay in it. He fights for us and we fight for him and he's going all the way. Nice. All right. Well, all the best with it. Thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure. You've got mail. Yeah. All right, so we're going to we're going to do something different now that we're doing our own home studio. We are going to make a call to our listener that has contacted us with a question. Uh, so stay on the line, Donald, and I will make this call and see if we can make it work. Do it. Here we go. Calling David here. Hello. Hello, David. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, this is Diana from hey, Greenland. David. Hi, Donald. How are you going? It's not nice and clear. Oh, good, good. Right. Now, D- David, well, you you did write in with a question, which we we will get to. I did. Um, I did. You, I, I, that hasn't been covered in the program yet. No, please ask your question. All right, the question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, was, I was wondering in the the Democrat election process, why all the candidates that are remaining, uh, well, the only two that are remaining are in their late 70s, and most of the ones who dropped out, apart from one young bloke who was about 40, were um, 70 or over. I'm, I'm just wondering why, the kind of question that gets asked on Q&A, where you talk about half an hour to ask questions, I'm just wondering why no, no younger candidates actually nominate for the process, and is it anything to do with the fact that you've got to have millions and millions and millions of dollars of backing before you can actually nominate? Throw that one to you, Donald. Well, you know, um, there are, well, you have to be at least 35 years old to run for president in the first place. And as you can see, the the presidential election is very, very, very expensive. Bloomberg dropped a billion. I mean, and it's only increased since, uh, say, President Obama. It's gone through the roof from that point forward. And you almost have to be either independently wealthy or have a network base out of this world who's willing to support you with their small contributions as well as their large contributions. Now, in terms of uh, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, these guys are established. They're going up against a guy who's in his 70s. Uh, and if you, you almost got to, it's almost like if you're, if you're a boxer and you can't, uh, a heavyweight can't fight a featherweight. So you almost need to get in there and have either two heavyweights or two featherweights. Uh, and in this case, either you get a young uh, Tulsi Gabbard or, for instance, or you get a you get a young Buttigieg against Donald Trump. It just, the weight class is out. So you almost need someone who has the experience, that whole grandfather, father type of personality that Trump carries on to match. And people can actually compare apples to apples it's not just young and old it's 
two old guys who have been in the game. They have built up their wealth. They know bukus of people. And it, there's a balance there. Who do we trust more? The Donald Trump, the fiery Donald Trump, who's not going to take anything from anybody, the, the, the New Yorker, or do you take uh, the fiery Bernie Sanders, or as Donald Trump would say, do you take the sleepy Joe? <laughs> now, if, if, you, if you look at it that way, right now the backing is towards Joe, uh, but Bernie is a fighter, and he's going to fight it all the way through. Can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. This really is like Q&A, yes. Yeah, it is like Q&A. Sometimes they do go back to the person in the audience because um, it's the key thing, if you wanted to get some younger people in, can you get someone in as a running mate who could perhaps be in their 40s or 50s who doesn't actually have to have the same level of financial backing who could theoretically take over if that person who is incredibly old is ill or dies or whatever. I just look at it and think that, 77, 78 years old, how long are they going to last in office even if they did get elected? So is that a way of getting around it or the running mate still has to be a lot older as well? Yeah, I reckon that – I think that's right. They do try and balance it, don't they, Donald? Like does that does that minimum age requirement of the 35 that, it, that you have to be to run for president, does that apply to the vice president as well? Or can they could could they okay. pick an Alexander? Uh. What's her name? Um, AOC. Like she's so impressive, isn't she? But she's obviously extremely left. But she she couldn't run anyway, even if she wanted to, because she's too young. That's right. Well, even as a vice president, uh, you must be a natural born U.S. citizen and at least thirty five years right. of age. And AOC, uh, she would. I don't know if the target market. That you or the, the the voter target that you're trying to attract to the polls will necessarily uh, support this urban New Yorker in AOC. Mm. But if you look down south, Joe Biden has also already promised that he will have a woman on his ticket uh, as a vice president. Do you know who? But, do you know? Yeah. Do you know who that would be? Would that be Michelle Obama? Because you keep hinting about her making some sort of political <laughs> comeback or something like. If it were Michelle Obama, I mean, my goodness. I mean, that would be the top pick, but I doubt she's even interested. But what I've been hearing in Democratic circles is Stacey Abrams, and she's from the South. And after her election was just snatched from her in Georgia through suppression and, and voter suppression and closing of the polls and all of these other things, I've heard a lot of credible people say Joe Biden, and this was what, last year, someone said Joe Biden's going to win the nomination and Stacey Abrams will be his vice president. If that is the case, Joe has the black vote, young and old, in the bag, Mm -hmm. and he has the South. And it balances out because Stacey Abrams is a very politically astute, very smart, and very well supported with uh, a lot of billionaires, you know, um, and within the African-American community. In terms of getting the votes on the ground and you need full states, you need Georgia. Biden would need Georgia. If he can get Georgia, which is Stacey Abrams, then he has the South. So when, at what know. point do they, um, is it only once they become the presumptive nominee that they choose their running mate as VP? Yeah, I mean, publicly choose. I believe they've already chosen, and, okay. and they're vetting them now and getting them ready for debates right now. They have, they can't, they can't do it at the last minute. Okay. 
Does that answer I mean, your you question, David? <laughs> yeah, it answers it thoroughly. I mean, uh, I do. Thank you, David, for the question. And um, we'd like to send you some merchandise, but we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but you are not yet, not yet. <laughs> but... yeah, think, think. We, we live in an era of disappointment at the moment anyway so uh, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll go outside and hug my dog and that'll cheer me up <laughs> thank you for being a Greenland listener and for your uh, question. Can I, I have a question for David I have a quick question for David if he doesn't mind go David I hear away. you're a, you know, a big sportsman particularly the AFL. I mean, yes. how are you? I mean, this is this is AFL season right now. What are you doing? Okay, well, I well, number one, I don't think the first round should have been played. I think they were just out of touch with reality to think that it was okay for everyone else to be locked down and for them to actually play. But what made it even worse is that I had great hopes for my side this season and they've played one game and they disappointed me so much in that one game that I'm going to be worried all the way through to the next season. Uh, in, we were actually miles in, we were miles in front at halftime and obviously the announcement came through at halftime that that was going to be the only round. So they practiced social distancing in the second half, going nowhere near their opponents or the ball or the huge gap between the central posts. They just shut up shop completely. Now, you, so who, do you, thought, who do you barrack for, um, David? I, I, I barrack for St Kilda, the least successful side in the history of sport. Hey, and, St Kilda, uh, go St Kilda. Yeah, go, yeah, that's right. They're very, 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 very unsuccessful side. And I had great hopes, for as I said. And really, we were absolutely dominating that game. So it's not just because morally I think they shouldn't have run it anyway, but just for my state of mind, having to survive the whole year without another game probably, and what I saw was extremely disappointing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How good was it though that in that, that, that one round because the whole of American football and sports had been shut down, they actually, the, the American networks were showing AFL games and there was some hilarious footage of like American commentators just seeing AFL for the first time, Australian Football League for those uninitiated. They were just blown away by the game. That was, I think, for Australians, that was quite funny watching Americans react to watching <laughs> our national game. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Did you see? I, I, I saw. I saw that report because the guy got really excited. He was a kicker in American football, and he said, "Oh, they kick it so many times a game." And and he got very excited. There was this, this person on the boundary who could throw the ball sixty meters over his head, so these big guys could jump and hit it. So yeah. it was, yeah, it obviously captured the imagination of uh, all the sports star people in America, but uh, it was totally surreal watching those games because after a goal, there was just no noise. The first game in particular, they really got it wrong, was at the MCG where there would have been 85,000 people and, and they didn't even play music on the scoreboard. They sort of worked out later on that it was probably better to have some music playing after a goal was scored to create some atmosphere. So it was, it's just really weird seeing... It worked a bit better on the, on the smaller grounds where it wasn't so obvious that yeah. uh, that there was no one there. One of the mysteries to a lot of my friends and I was why there were a whole lot of security guards lining the boundary to protect the players from moths. <laughs> uh, I'm only allowed to have 100 people on the ground, yet they had a number of security guards there, uh, which was stopping nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, just some interesting observations. I, I was hoping if they had another round that after each goal they could play some canned laughter or something because that would have amused me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a long-winded answer, Donald. I'm very uh, I'm disappointed we started the season. Yes, we're, we're, everything is shut down at the moment. I'm quite happy for us in order to regroup again next year and hopefully with that same group of players give me a happier result from the one round that we played. I hope so. I really do. I'm with you. With I'm with you, Dave. Oh, Diana, we're going to have to put that video on the show notes. We're going to have to post yeah, something on the show notes. Yeah, we will. We will. put the video of the American. I'm sorry I don't have his name on the top of my head now, but it was pretty funny. And we love that Americans yeah, loved, to, loved our game. Well, at least we're a bit captivated by it for one round at least. Um, so thanks, David. Sport to sport. Yeah, sport to sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for being on Greenland, David, and thanks for your question. Yep. Absolute pleasure. Ring uh, me anytime. Okay, we will. <laughs> All Thank right. Toodaloo. Bye. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to us today on Greenland. If you'd like to become a Greenlander, visit greenlanderpodcast.com and follow the links to subscribe. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast listening app Um, that really helps us to kind of percolate to the top and to also get a nice little bit of feedback from you guys if you'd like to send us an email you'll find uh, links to contact us on our webpage as well so thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week